But anyway, I guess that's not the right thing. So it's good to see you guys. I just wanted to talk to you guys about something before I get into something else I want to talk to you about. And then after that, I have something else I want to talk to you about. So anyway, <laughs> it's a family meeting. Uh, no, I did. On the way to church this morning, I got a call from a lady in Vermont. And uh, you'd be surprised at how many people I know in Vermont. No one. And uh, so... <clears throat> Anyway, uh, she has a sister and uh, her husband and their two kids that had an accident last week. And uh, they have, their car is totaled. They're on their way from Oregon to Vermont. They're staying at the Baymont Inn, and she's, they, I mean, it's, it's a situation that I don't even know what to do to help. <laughs> and so uh, I, I know that this family is going to need, uh, the, 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 the mother has a broken uh, sternum, and uh, can't travel. And so uh, it's a big, big deal. I mean, I've I, I told the lady, I said, we're going to pray about this. I'll let the church know, but I have no idea. This is so big. So I just thought I would tell you about it. Maybe the Holy Spirit has some creativity for you as to how we could help this family. Certainly we could, you know, help them with some food and, and maybe help them with some hotel bills. I mean, imagine you're traveling cross country. They're moving from Oregon to Vermont and they lost all their stuff in the accident two kids right here at Christmas. So anyway, just kind of a, uh, just a huge situation. So just while we're talking today and going through the message and thinking about Jesus Christ, uh, if you have any ideas, if you want to give toward that, you have some envelopes on the giving boxes, you could just write help for the family or benevolence or uh, family, just something on there. If you wanted to give to that, uh, Tammy and John take care of a lot of this type of things for Ordinary Faith. They'll be getting in touch with the local ministries in town that get involved in these kind of things but uh, I was just overwhelmed with the call I'm just like I'm not I mean I, we can surely help with things but here in three days or four or a week it's still going to be a challenge and so anyway if you want to think about that I thought I would share it with you who knows Holy Spirit sometimes has an idea that he gives you that he doesn't give me and uh, so I thought I'd share it so we are going to get into Christmas I just I want to I want to give you something that you might be you could be happy about it's possible that today you will hear a short sermon. It's a possibility. It's a possibility. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I mean, it's just there's a little bit of hope. Not much. But, I mean, there's a little bit. So, but we'll see. So, it would be a nice present, wouldn't it? <laughs> That's right. Oh, man. So, we are going to jump into today's title messages, Intrusions and Inconveniences. Yes! I love when my life gets inconvenienced. Don't you? Uh, and, if you, and when you get into the Christmas story, you realize we would not have a Christmas story if it weren't for a whole lot of inconveniences and intrusions and, and uncomfortable stretches in people's lives. And so here we are at Christmas, and, and I, I think I told you guys back Thanksgiving, I love Thanksgiving. Christmas has always been tougher for me. You know, one, it's so expensive. We had eight kids, so you, you do the math. Uh, I never did. We just rolled with it. So uh, we still have eight kids. Shocking. This is crazy. I didn't know. They must talk to you. No, I'm just kidding. So <laughs> I'm just messing around. <laughs> we have nine grandkids. And now I know why my grandparents only gave me like a quarter for Christmas. I'm like, I, like my grandkids, like here's a dollar for you and a dollar for you. And I don't know. Of course, in, in a year, it'll be, here's $10 for you, it'll be about the same. Anyway, so, 
Luke 2, 7. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a trough because there was no place for them. And that's where we begin. We cannot have a Christmas that there is no place for Jesus Christ in. We cannot run through this week as we run into Christmas Eve and Christmas Day We cannot run through that and be so caught up in the accoutrements of the season and the busyness of the season and and the gifts and the parties and the celebrations and there not be room for Jesus Christ in that. Where does our time go at Christmas? I mean, it just seems like, I don't know, I, I go into every holiday the same way. I mean, every, in fact, I go into every month the same way. I'm scheduling stuff and I'm saying no. And what happens? I still end up scheduled to the walls and and just busy and and loaded up. Why? Why is that? Why do we do that? And so as you go through Christmas, you got to remember that time is the stuff life is made of. And a lot of times we give away the most precious resource of our life, your time, for reasons that don't even make sense. How many hours will you spend this week scrolling through a social media feed that only ticks you off? I'm totally happy. I get a bored. Like, the, these things are made to be addictive. The second you feel the mildest twinge of, a, of a boredom, you grab something and you must be distracted. And, and, and so you have this addiction. And so you start scrolling through whatever, whatever your particular media of choice is. Pretty soon you get angry. I think it's like a tool of the enemy to just ruin your day. <clears throat> Miss Linda agrees with me. Thank you. So we waste time on things because we're like afraid to be bored for a minute. I'm going to tell you some of the greatest moments of your life, some of the greatest prayer times, some of the most creative things you'll ever have will start with a moment of boredom. So keep that in mind. Boredom's a good thing. When I was a kid, we didn't have these distractions. We invented all kinds of games, and believe it or not, we survived. Uh, We were a little weird, but we survived. And so... We also spend time doing things that we don't even want to do. We, we spend time trying to please people that we can't please. Don't we? Um, and if you do please them, it won't last long because before too long, they'll be upset again, and you'll be right back where you started. There is a, there is a problem of sinful nature. I call it just the sense of being in trouble. Human nature just walks around, spends its whole life feeling like it's in trouble. That's why we try to please people that we can't please. It's why we spend so much time trying to do things that really can't be done. It's why we waste time trying to get some approval, even if it's pseudo-approval, just because we, we want to get out of trouble in some way. Polite is one thing. Respect is one thing. But this week you'll have seven days, so many hours, so many minutes, and in all of that time, uh, there's, you can't add to it, you can't save it, you're only going to spend it. You might invest it, but it's going to slip away no matter what you're doing with it, whether you're scrolling, whether you're talking, whether you're feasting, or whether you have indigestion from feasting. And so keep in mind this week, treat it as it is. It's a precious gift the next seven days. Not just because it's Christmas, just because it's the next seven days, but Christmas does add a little bit to it. Because Christmas helps us remember 
why, you know, how we got a Savior, how this story of our redemption began. So I'm going to encourage you to start this week by quieting the noise, by thinking, by letting yourself experience the twinge of boredom, by reading the story of Christ, by encouraging someone. I don't know what gifts you intend to give this week, but the most expensive one you'll give will be your time. So think about that and be wise about it and invest it. Don't just spend it. So we start with quieting the noise and to do that we have to make room for some things. You see, if you don't make room for Jesus, he's not going to inhabit a significant portion of your life. If you don't make room for your faith, you won't grow in your faith. If you don't make room for growth in your life, you won't grow. You have to make room for the important stuff. The big rocks, as, oh man, the guy who wrote the book that I can't remember his name or the book right now, but he, he said, use the big rocks first, you know. Stephen Covey, there we go. That, that, uh, the guy from Salt Lake. <sighs> so, I just, we got to make room for some things. And as I go through this sermon, I, I, you're, you might make a, uh, a false assumption about me. As I go through this and I give you counsel and wisdom that I found in the scriptures and I've discovered in my life, you might think to yourself, oh, wow, he's got it figured out. Oh, no, no. No, 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 no. I am, every sermon I have ever shared was really to me. I mean, it was, you just happened to be a, you know, a benefactor. This is my weekly counseling session. I'm just kidding. But uh, I do want to share things that are helpful to all of us. But know this, the things I'm sharing with you today are things that I struggle with, too. Especially this first one. I hate inconveniences. I hate difficulties. I hate it when you mess with my calendar. I have a plan. And there's no room for you in that. No, I'm just kidding. That's not true. It's uncomfortable for me because here you have Mary and and Joseph. We're going to look at four stories. I'm only going to cover just read two scriptures, but the stories you know well. Here are Mary and Joseph, and God shows up in their life, and God just wrecks all of their plans. We've covered all that. Made the rest of their lives on earth incredibly challenging by, by the miraculous things that he did. And we have to be honest about that. It wasn't like Mary got pregnant, had Jesus, and then lived a rose-covered pathway for the rest of her life. No. I mean, unless they were, you're talking about thorns on the pathway. The rest of her life was hard because of the miracle. Because of the gift of God, it made the rest of her life challenging. So this idea that, that, that Christianity is going to make your life easier, is I don't know where that, that did not come from God, didn't come from the scriptures. God's own son he nailed on a cross, but he wants you happy and comfortable. None of that makes sense, okay? So here you have Mary and Joseph and God's promise, God's miracle shows up. And now everything, all the plans, the calendar, the money, it's it's all jacked up from now on. So you have to make room in your life for difficulty. And difficulty show up, and it throws us for a loop every time. Okay, me. It throws me for a loop Every time. 
I just went through something a couple weeks ago. It's just a, a huge drain on my time. I had a plan. My plan was chucked out the window. I did not handle it well. I pouted. I whined. I griped. And ask my wife. She has to hear all this mess. I pray for her. <clears throat> so, I mean, how do you do it? How do you make room for the difficulties, the flat tires? The, the dead batteries, the, the, the auto accidents, the, the financial strains, the surprise, the financial surprise, the medical emergency, the relational crisis. How do you make room for all that stuff? Because it's coming. You understand that, right? You're not, I know there's this idea that comes from our culture that if I just live well enough, then nothing bad will ever happen. That doesn't work. Stuff is going to happen. And and if we don't begin to, to look at our faith in a way that allows for difficulty, then we're going to get knocked on our rear end every time it shows up. So we have to make room for it. Because what happens when difficulty comes? Opportunity comes. The opportunity and the possibility for miracles arise. Many of you have experienced God doing amazing things in your story, and you wouldn't have had that miracle if it hadn't been for the difficulty that showed up in the first place. Because of the trial, God had opportunity to show you his goodness. And in this story of Mary and Joseph, the trial they went to is how Jesus was born into the world. What if the difficulty that you're facing this holiday season or next year or whenever it comes, what if that's really just an opportunity for Christ to be born in your life and in your world, for Christ to be manifest, for the word to become flesh? in your ways and in your days. So we have to make room for this stuff. And I know how hard this is. So just from my, not just from my heart, but just the reality of me. I'm a task-oriented guy. I do things one, two, three. You holistic people that are like, you annoy me. I need, I need sections and boxes. And when I have a messy box, I put it out of sight. That's me, you know? So making room for the difficulties is actually making room for the miracles. Making room for the difficulties is actually making an opportunity for Jesus to show up in your situation. We have to learn to praise God in every circumstance. And I know it's crazy. I, I know. I mean, you, in fact, I am going to be a terrible example here. Do not... Because if you see me on Dewar Drive in an accident, I'm probably not going to be out there in the front of the car going, Hallelujah, bless God. Here's an opportunity for Jesus to show up. I'm probably not going to do that. I'm probably going to be on the side shaking my head. So there's some people in this church who've been with me through some difficult things. I do not look like I'm praising God. I look like I'm mad. <sighs> but if we can learn to make room for the difficulties, we're making room for the miracles. You have to make room. This world wants to steal every second you have so that you arrive at your moment of death feeling like you've wasted it all. That's the way of the world. If you don't make room, there won't be room. You have to make room for the difficulties. You also have to make room for the surprises. I hate surprises. 
Michael, you have psychological issues. I know. I understand this. But I don't like surprises. I've, uh, I've had a few of them along the way. <laughs> the shepherds. I don't know the life of a shepherd really that well. I, the only insight I ever had was a friend who's gone on home to be with the Lord, Eric Jewell, uh, 15 years ago. He got to go home. But he was a shepherd. The Jewell Ranch up there by Sweetwater Gap. He's a dear friend of mine. I used to go visit him just so I could hear shepherd stories. And uh, I don't know what shepherds do. I'm, I imagine that the shepherd's life 2,000 years ago was incredibly boring, and then all of a sudden it was not, and it was terrifying. I'm thinking it was that, you know. And so you have that night, and the shepherds are just bedding down the sheep, and they're calling it a day, and then all of a sudden, boom, angels, music, celebration, pow, you know, all this kind of stuff. And uh, surprise, <laughs> the Son of God's here. That's, that's a story. Making room for the surprises sounds, like I said, it's not really my strength. It's not something I want to do. But that is how God works. God, the funny thing is, God did give the nation of Israel a heads up, you know, by several hundred years. Uh, I'm going to have a son. Uh, the deliverer's coming, going to be born of a virgin. So he, he kind of he sent the memo out a few hundred years before, uh, but no one was ready for it. It's kind of like that someone tells you they're going to come visit you, and then five years later you've totally forgotten about it, and they show up at your doorstep, and you're surprised, but they did tell you. <laughs> That's kind of how this happened. And so... <laughs> What would have happened if the shepherds didn't have time for the surprise? I listen, I know you're sitting there going, well, that's silly. They're angels. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, it is silly, but I also know me. And I'm like, ah, you know, I don't have time for a surprise right now. I've got an appointment in 20 minutes. That's how I would think. You're like, Michael, that's ridiculous. No, it's just a busy life. It's, and I think a lot of us are that way. We have so much on our calendar, it's really hard to make room for the surprises, but the surprises are where the miracles happen. Surprises are where the Son of God shows up, where, where God's hand is revealed. If you look at Jesus' ministry, <coughs> excuse me, if you look at Jesus' ministry, I don't know, it, I always struggle with Jesus' ministry because, one, he was very intense. Jesus had, like, I must go uh, through Judea, or I must go to Jericho. So he had this plan. But then, then these people, people are so needy. I mean, not you guys, but a lot of people <laughs> are so needy. You know, and here's Jesus, and this guy needs healed, and this guy needs someone to deal with this servant, and this guy is lame, and this person's dead. <sighs> anyway, and, and everywhere you go, there's these, these changes to the plan. And Jesus just rolled with it. He just, wherever the Father was working, that was how. He had a plan. He knew he was going to this city. He knew he was going to be touching these places. He had this plan, but then he also had this flexibility where he was able to stop and heal someone, free someone from demonic oppression, raise someone from the dead. 
So here in the Christmas story, you see these shepherds. And what if they'd have been like us, and instead of looking at the sky and, and, and having that quiet so the angel voices could bust in, what if they're like us and they had their, their ear pods in and their my phones on and, and they were just zoned in? You say, well, Michael, that was 2,000 years ago. It wouldn't happen. I'm sure they could have found some way to be too busy for the surprise. But they didn't. They went and they got to see God's Son Freshly minted on earth. They got to see him that night. Make room for the surprises. You never know when Jesus is going to show up. This is a common theme of Christianity. You never know when Jesus is going to show up. No man knows the hour. You have to always be ready. We have to make room. Difficulties are actually okay. Please don't preach this sermon back to me. Christy. <laughs> you got to make room for the surprises. You got to make room for the mysteries. One of my favorite parts of the Christmas story was actually something that didn't happen until two years after the Christmas story about, about that. We do that based on the fact that Herod, we believe that based on the fact that Herod killed children two years old and under. So it leads us to believe that the wise men didn't show up till almost two years later. So in this story, though, what I love about it is here you have the nation of Israel. These are the trumpet of God on the earth. The nation of Israel's job is to proclaim God as a nation. That's their job. And God sends his son in exactly the way God said he was going to send his son to the exact city that God said he was going to send his son to. And the nation of Israel, the voice of God on earth, the trumpet of God's goodness, did not have a clue. They flat missed it. How do you miss that? I mean, shepherds got it. Mary and Joseph got it. They even went to the temple in Jerusalem for some things, and there were priests that got it. But the nation, the scribes, the leaders, no one got it. So God had to send an envoy from two years away, two years away, to let them know that their own Messiah that God had been promising since the exit from the Garden of Eden had been born. That's crazy to me. (sighs) You have to make room for the mysteries in your life. God just doesn't do things the way I do because God's smart and I'm not. (laughs) That's the truth, right? God works in mysterious ways. Now he works in eternally logical and reasonable ways. I'm just not smart enough to know what those are. I don't have enough information to see those. So we have to make room in our life for some mystery. One of the things I think has hurt Christendom since the Reformation, I think, and I think the Reformation did a lot to free Christendom or Christianity, but I think one of the things that's hurt us is we've come to the scriptures trying to make everything discernible and understandable via human logic, which doesn't even make sense. That we can, human, with human logic, try to understand an infinite, eternal God. And so I want to encourage you to understand that your Christian faith is mysterious. 
The writers of the New Testament use that term. The mysteries of your faith. There are things they realized that they could not comprehend. And there are things of your faith that can only even be seen. I'm not even sure comprehended. But they can only be understood by God's Spirit, not by human intellect. Am I dismissing human intellect? No. We need more brains in the church. There are precious few of them in play right now. <laughs> but we also need room for mystery. We, we don't just need to let God be God. We need to enjoy God being God. God decided that his son would be born of a virgin. God decided that his son would be born. God decided that that son would be born to a, a couple in poverty. God chose that he would be a Jewish man and that he would walk the earth. And in and, and walking the earth, he would express who God really is to the world. Anyone who cared to look, they would get to see Jesus, the Word of God, what God had to say and who God was. They'd get to see that. That's the mystery. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. Make room for mystery. And if I could make that really practical, I, I want you to make room for the Word of God in your life. And I'm not just talking about the Bible. You certainly need to make time for the Bible. In fact, I recommend reading the Bible. In fact, I say uh, there are great value in devotional books and other books that help interpret the Bible. But I say put them on the shelf some days and just get out the Bible and say, Hey, God, what do you have to say? And if you sit there and think, Well, I'm not smart enough to just read the Bible and understand it. That's exactly right. That's why God put the Holy Spirit in you. So that you could get into the Scriptures... And then the Holy Spirit could take those scriptures and through the representation and his giving of Jesus begin to speak the word of God into your spirit and into your soul. You want to start having mystery in your faith again? Crack open your Bible. And instead of just reading it, let it read you. Let it read you. Because I'm going to tell you, (laughs) if you are not struggling with your faith, you're not growing. Nothing causes me to struggle with my faith more than God's Word. And actually, it's not my faith that's the problem. It's my preconceived ideas. It's my notions. It's the values that I've shaped throughout my life. That's God's Word, according to Hebrews 4, cuts away at those things and discerns those things for what they really are. You are not a body with a soul. You are a soul with a body. And that word of God is what saves your soul, according to James chapter 2. And so we need the word of God in our lives. We need the mystery. We need to read the Christmas story and not just read it as, oh yeah, I learned this in Sunday school. We need to read it as like, that's awesome. That's amazing. That's wonderful. Wouldn't it be great if this Christmas it was about so much more than gifts and presents and family get-togethers? What if it was wondrous again? What if it was mysterious? What if it was wonderful? What if it captured your attention? Like when you were little and you began to, to, to come to know that, oh, Mary had a child and Joseph and the struggles they had and God sent His Son, and God so loved the world. Make room for the mystery. If you don't make room for it, your faith's going to get stale. 
You're going to find more important things to do with your time. And there's nothing more important than hearing from God. Nothing. Make room for the mysteries. And then just make room for the king. It is kind of sad that when Mary and Joseph got to Bethlehem, there was nowhere to stay. Airbnb site was down. Priceline was booked up. They got to town, there was nowhere to stay. There wasn't any room for Mary and Joseph, the poor couple, and there wasn't any room for God's son. And I think God allowed that because it is one of those literal metaphors. I don't think there's ever going to be room for Jesus in this world. I think Jesus is always going to be outside in the barn to this world. The good news is there may not be room inside. There's always room outside. I love how Jesus spent so much time with outsiders. And, and I love how he didn't just spend time with them and affirm them, affirm them in their sinfulness and lostness and misery, but rather he invited them to something better. He invited them into a, a journey and a relationship with God. So you and I have to learn to do the same thing. We have to make room. We have to make room. We have to make room for the king. Everything's going to push him out. The time, the schedule. If you don't make time for the king in your life, you won't have time for the king in your life. And that's getting more true every year. Every year, fewer and fewer people have time to serve, have time to even learn to minister or minister, have time to even go to church or time for a small group. Fewer and fewer people every year have time for this. Why? Because if you don't make time, there won't be time. And if you don't make time for the king in your life, if he, if he isn't the king of your life, then you're the king of your life. And there'll never be room for another king. So we need to make room to spend time with Jesus. You know, he lives within you, right? That's part of the promise of Christianity, is that Jesus Christ, God's Son, lives within you. You can spend time with him anytime. You can enter the holy place at any time. You can go into God's presence at any time. So why don't we have time? Because I can do it any time, and so therefore, I do it at no time. You have to make room for the king. You have to make time. You have to make time for worship. You have to make time. See, that's what the Christmas story is all about. You have the wise men coming to worship. You have the shepherd's worship. You have this worship of God. This, the story is a worship story. And when we use the word worship, we don't even know what that means in our culture today. And yet we worship everything. So what about the king? What about Jesus Christ? What about the, the Son of God, born of a virgin, lived, died, resurrected again? What about him being Lord of your life? What about him being your king? We have to make room for worship, which is basically just giving Jesus what he's due, reflecting on who he is, and, and honoring and worshiping all of those things. So we have to make room for the king. And if you have a king, then he's a priority in your life, right? I mean, if, if Jesus is your Lord, then he's a priority. 
So that means we have room for worship. It means we have resources to give. We have time to serve. When you have Jesus as your Lord, those are the kind of things that begin to take place in your life because those are the kind of things that Jesus did. And so make room for the king because I'm telling you, Jesus will change you. I was doing the math, which is not my strong suit, yesterday. Uh, I've, I've been pastoring a missionary uh, 28 years. I think it's a long time. It seemed like forever, and sometimes it seems like a few minutes. I have met scores of people that have told me that they believed in Jesus, that they were Christians. Uh, and uh, lots of other expressions of those two ideas. And of those scores, I've also met many whose lives had not been changed. You see, the angel showing up to Mary and Joseph, it changed their life. The angel showing up to John the Baptist's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, changed their life. This is what I believe. And I, I've, I think I've seen it enough that I can speak with some authority. When a person meets Jesus, Jesus changes their life. When I first started ministry back in the 90s, I rode my dinosaur to work. Um... I, I was in a, I grew up and was ordained in an evangelical faith. I was a Southern Baptist. And we encouraged people to pray to receive Christ. We called it the sinner's prayer. I, and I've prayed with thousands of people over the years. And it caused me to lose faith in the sinner's prayer. <laughs> because, uh, in fact, I found out that the fastest way to get someone out of your church was to pray the sinner's prayer with them and baptize them, and they were gone. So um, I have a great joke about that, but I'm not going to share it. I said I was going to, this might be a short sermon. We'll see. We're not done yet. Does prayer save? Yeah, sure. Yeah, prayer saves. You call out in the name of Jesus. He's faithful. But here's what I trust. You see, Jesus, and I think it was John 4, Jesus himself said that he knew what was in people, so he did not give themselves to them. He, he knew that in people we can be very deceptive, especially to ourselves. As one uh, sage once said, we could lie to ourselves for a living. And so nowadays, yeah, I still pray with people. I still encourage them to have a defining moment. But what I'm looking for is a change. And over the last 10 years of Ordinary Faith, we, we haven't had a lot of conversions, but we have had a whole lot of people whose lives have changed. And so that's what I look for. I look for someone who all of a sudden, they, it started out, you know, three months ago, six months ago, a year ago, five years ago. They started coming to church every so often. Maybe they came a lot. Maybe they came a little. And then, but then all of a sudden, the, the change hits. Because Jesus showed up in some way. And sometimes it happens progressively and sometimes it happens all at once. 
And, and all of a sudden, they're like, boom, I see them all the time. Why? Because now they, 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 uh, they, they're hungry for Jesus, and so church is a great place to get connected to them. Or, or maybe they start serving. Oh, and my favorite, my favorite is, because we don't, we don't manipulate people, we don't try and push anything like that, but we give people opportunities to step up. And my favorite is when they say, I'm ready to be baptized. That's my favorite. Why? If you are willing to get wet in front of 300 people... <sighs> You're serious about something, all right? And, and we don't have cool robes or anything like that. You've got to wear your own T-shirt. I mean, seriously, we, we make you work hard for it. <laughs> Just kidding. What am I saying? I'm saying when Jesus shows up in your life, things begin to change. Do I mean that they get better? Uh, eventually. But at first, they tend to get worse. And that's... You've got to have a whole lot more than religion to wade through the hard stuff. Because that's what's coming. You know, Jesus said, I didn't come to bring d- uh, unity. I came to bring division. In this household, it's going to be mom and dad against the kids or mom and daughter against the, the, the dad. I mean, he said, I- I've come to, to bring division. Why? Because Jesus is divisive. That's why I'll never fit in this world. That's why he's always going to be in the barn. That's why if you're going to be a Jesus follower, you're always going to be an outsider, not an insider. There will never be room for Jesus in this world. And if, you th- if it looks like it, something is off, trust me. So all of this to say, you've got to make room for Jesus. It's not easy by nature. It's not easy. You have to make time for things. You have to make time to, to be with Jesus, to pray, to worship, to get to a church, to be in a small group. You have to make time for this stuff. But if you don't make time for this, I know what will happen. I've seen it happen thousands and thousands of times, and I'm not kidding. People come to church, they have a, they, they, God's Holy Spirit is here, we're together. It's just an obvious place for the Spirit to, to really get a hold of you, and it wakes you up for a moment. And if you don't engage, if you don't make time, if you don't step out, the enemy will step in, and he will fill your calendar up. And the last day of the week you'll have time to be with anyone is on Sunday. The last time, uh, the, the last thing you'll have time for is a, a time of prayer or a time with Jesus or a time of worship or a time of growth. You have to make time for this. And if you will make time, Jesus will show up. So what I want for you for Christmas, I just want you to have the greatest gift of all. There's only one gift that ever mattered. There's one gift that's a reason for all the others. The reason we give gifts is because God gave a gift. And I just want you to have Jesus. I want you to have times where... I was talking about my son's Friday. And uh, he said a very nice thing to me, which is weird as a parent. When your kids say nice things to you, you're, you're... what do you want? I mean, that kind of thing. <laughs> but my son, you know, he's, he's in his 30s now, and he's seen a bit of life, and he's gone through some tough stuff. And he commended me on my, um, com- my emotional and ability to, to have compassion over a long series of time, which I thought 
Uh, you obviously don't know me because I don't feel like that at all. But, but it was a very nice thing he said. And I got to chewing on that. And I'm like, because it's been a tough year for, uh, for me in some ways and a great year in some other ways, like every year, I guess. But I'm sharing this with you because I have this thing I do. Every morning, I start my day with Jesus. Sometimes it's an hour, sometimes it's 20 minutes, sometimes it's two hours. But I, I get my Bible, which is on my iPad, so you know it's not a physical one. And I, I just read. I, I've realized I have to start there because if I, if I start just trying to pray right off the bat, my brain runs off and I start working on the problems of the day. So I have to, get God, I have to start with God's words. So I read my Bible and I pray. That's it. I don't read devotional books. I, I read about eight chapters of the Bible. It's kind of my routine. But it's, I, I've been doing this a long time. I have a system. You don't want to hear about it. That's when I get filled up. That's how I, I get to That's how I've, you know, I go through things. And I don't know if you've, anyone's ever lost anyone in your life. A friend of yours lost someone they love. And I don't know if you know what it's like to carry grief with someone else, but it's exhausting. I don't know if you know what it's like to get the phone call I got this morning, and here's this family, and their life has just imploded, and they have no options. That is a weight. And, and those are, this is what ministry is, and it's not just me, Steve and Becky, Christy, John, and anybody who serves in these ways, and whether you, where you pray for people or whatever, they have these burdens, and that's why there's a thing called compassion fatigue, and it's all over the church today, people are exhausted. How do you do it? Well, the only way I know to do it is I have to plug in to the only source of strength I've ever had. Every morning... It's me and the Father, and He ministers to me. That's a gift. I wish I could tell you, oh, I was smart and I disciplined myself. Here's how I learned it. When I was 13, I would get up to go to school, and my dad was at our kitchen table. And he had this old blue school-filled Bible. And if you don't know what a school-filled is... God will have mercy on you. I'm just kidding. And every morning, my dad was at the feet of the Savior in the Word of God. And as I got older and my brain came and finally grew in, because it was really small for a long time, he reminded me that that's what my dad did, and along the way, that's what I started to do. So my dad gave it to me. And, he, and I would probably say he gave it to me and Christy because we both have the same habit. And so here I am giving it to you. You have to make time. You have to make room for Jesus. Even if you've got to go to the barn, it's better in the barn with Jesus than it is in Herod's temple, Herod's house with the nut jobs. There's enough nut jobs. You work with them, Right? Go to the stable. Make room for the king. And the king will change your life. And that is what Christmas is about. Merry Christmas. Father, I thank you.
My prayer is that every life in this room knows Jesus. My prayer is that every life in this room has been changed by Jesus. I pray that we all know the answer. And if there's anyone sitting here this morning who isn't sure about the answer, I pray that they will come to a prayer table and talk to myself or Linda or Miss Penny or Josiah and they would find out how they could just start their journey with Jesus. And then, Lord, I pray that as we enter into this week, here it is, the last few days before Christmas, I pray that you would help us to make it about Jesus every day. I pray for a miracle for this family that you that called me this morning. I have no idea what to do. But I never know what to do. So I ask, Lord, that you would raise up an answer from somewhere for them. Because that's the kind of thing Jesus does. And so I ask you that you would move in this body of believers. That we would make room for Jesus Christ every day. And Lord, that this Christmas be like no other in its focus upon Jesus Christ, the reason for this season. In his name I pray, amen. Let's stand.